We now turn to our scripture lesson for the sermon this morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. We turn to John chapter 6. While our earlier Old Testament reading was rather lengthy, this one is pretty short. John chapter 6, verses 30 through 33. This is the word of God as he brought to the remembrance of John all of the things that Jesus said and did. So John records here infallibly what Jesus said and how people reacted and interacted with him. And so let's read now God's holy word, John chapter 6, verses 30 through 33. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. May he bless its reading, its exposition, and its hearing. For the last time we observed the Lord's Supper, I preached here from John chapter 6, but verses 22 through 29, and so we're picking up uh, where we left off there that time. I noted that that passage comes on the heels of Jesus having fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Uh, in verses 22 through 29, Jesus pointed out that the people uh, were not following him, This, by the way, is the time when he had uh, walked across the water and they wondered, well, how in the world did he get to Capernaum because uh, the boats all left without him. Uh, And so the people have followed and come to Capernaum and found Jesus there. And he's pointed out that they have followed him uh, not because his miracles prove that he's telling the truth about God, including Uh, claims that clearly show that he is God, but rather they were simply wanting their earthly needs and desires met, especially just wanted free food, it appeared. He taught them to prioritize spiritual things over material things, and that faith in him results in everlasting life, saying, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. And he said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So in today's reading, the crowd continues to question Jesus, and he answers them. And his answers teach what, uh, in fact, who, that food which endures to everlasting life is. Jesus tells us that he himself is the true bread from heaven, the very bread of God. Probably thinking of his words in verse 26 when he said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. The people ask Jesus here, 
Uh, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Well, as we've been reading the book, especially if you started from the beginning of John and you've read up to this point, uh, you might ask, well, weren't all the miracles that he's already done enough? Weren't these miracles he's performed sign enough? And they're asking for a sign. In Matthew 16, 4, when a sign was demanded of him in a similar situation after uh, he had already given ample evidence of his divine nature, uh, Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. They were a wicked and adulterous generation, faithless to their God, because they refused to see the evidence the Lord was placing before them. It isn't wrong when someone makes an extraordinary claim to ask for extraordinary evidence of that claim. The Lord has graciously confirmed his prophets again and again by wondrous signs. But when you've seen the wondrous signs over and over and over, then you say, oh, that's not good enough. Show me something else. Well, that's a wicked and adulterous generation. And so likewise, this demand for a sign in verse 23 really reveals the hardness of people's hearts. Wasn't the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 15 or 20,000 people with five loaves and two little fish, wasn't that proof enough that God was at work? That God was confirming that Jesus was speaking for him? But when we considered The previous passage, we noted these people appear to have been looking for something of a free ride. Free food with no toil. And so that must have something to do with their statement in verse 31. Because after asking Jesus for a sign, they're trying to push Jesus in the direction of giving them bread from heaven. They say, our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. The desire for a free ride, for the fruits of labor without the labor, for making a living without working, is ever a common human temptation in the fallen world. The Lord graciously provided for Israel in the wilderness, but the day they entered into the land and renewed their covenant with him was the day that manna ceased. They didn't have any manna the next morning. It was now time for them to gather for themselves from the land. Some in our time are demanding that the government would provide a universal basic income and or free food for all. Of course, nothing is really free. Someone is going to have to pay for it. And if you're not taking wealth from some people to pay those who are working for the food, to produce the food in the first place, well then you're just going to take from their labor. Someone had to labor for the food that we eat. Why do that if there's no compensation? I was interested to find as I was just watching some videos on YouTube recently and I saw a, a rock star, a band I listened to when I was a kid, and uh, he was talking about things like this. It wasn't what I expected to hear him uh, hear. I figured he'd be talking about music. And what he said was, uh, 
he commented on the notion that, well, when if if you don't pay for the things that you get, why should a farmer labor to get food for you if he doesn't get any compensation for it? Why should someone stock the shelves in the grocery store so that you can go in and have some food if they're not getting anything for doing that? Why not just scrape up enough for themselves? Why bother to give you anything? Aside from the economic foolishness that that kind of situation that would create the horrific inflation, uh, labor and food shortages that have happened in places that have tried the redistribution of wealth and that sort of thing. Uh, the desire for this free ride through life reveals a sort of covetousness. It's a desire to get something without having earned it. Now, it's one thing when you receive a free unearned gift from someone who's voluntarily giving it to you. You know, we accept the free gift of salvation in Christ. We can't earn that. Then it has to be a free gift. And when God freely offers that, we accept. And there's nothing wrong with accepting that. But it's quite another to compel that someone uh, give up his goods and his labor for someone else who's not laboring for it. That's covetousness. That's theft. In fact, we use the analogy of the 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 farmer working to, ro- to, to raise food so that you can eat it without paying for it, well, now he's your slave. That's slavery. When God created Adam, even in the world he declared very good, he set Adam to labor in his garden. When Adam fell into sin, he was cursed to toil for his food. In the sweat of your brow, you will earn your bread. And that's our condition in this world. Some of us sweat more than others, but all of us have to toil at what we do. We have two sides of the labor coin. We, we need labor in order to have a sense of purpose, because that's how God built us. and That's how he made us. It's been clearly demonstrated time and time again, both by... Christian sources and by secular sources that people who do little or nothing tend to be listless, depressed, even suicidal. We have an inner drive to do something productive with our lives. At the same time, our labors are toilsome. Even if you are privileged to have a job you love doing, like I do. Uh, This I feel thus very privileged. Uh, There are still aspects of the job that I do, which I love, that are toilsome, that are frustrating, that are boring, that are wearisome, and they still have to be done. Mankind has ever searched for a way to undo the effects of the curse without embracing the Lord who alone can actually overcome the curse. In his common grace, God has given us the ability to create labor-saving devices, and that's a wonderful thing. That's not a sin. It's not a sin to have a washing machine instead of to go down to the river to beat your clothes on a rock. And I'm very grateful that Kim and I don't have to do that. Uh, we, we can put the clothes in the washing machine and then do other productive things while the washing machine is taking care of our laundry. That's great. But this sense of toil will always be with us while the world lasts. 
in this age. In a similar vein to many situations we can observe today, this crowd here is looking for a free ride. Give us a universal basic income, Jesus. Give us this free ride. Give us bread that we don't have to toil for it. But Jesus is far too wise to be manipulated by their words. You notice how they try to to back him into this corner. Uh, Give us a sign. We haven't seen enough signs. Uh, And by the way, you you just gave us some free food. Moses, or God, gave bread from heaven. Why don't you do the same? He says, most assuredly, in answer to that, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Well, you might, if you've read scriptures, or like Exodus 16 that we read earlier, you might say, wait, what? Moses did not give Israel bread from heaven? We just read about it. Exodus 16.4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. In Nehemiah 9.15, the Levites pray to the Lord, saying, You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, referring to the time in the wilderness. Psalm 78.24 says that God had rained down manna on them to eat and gave them of the bread of heaven. Is Jesus contradicting sacred scripture? If so, we know we can't trust the scriptures, or we can't trust Jesus, one of the two. But in fact, no, he's not contradicting the scriptures. We have to remember Jesus was speaking Aramaic, which is a Semitic language, a language related to Hebrew and Arabic. The modern language of Arabic is in the same family. The ancient Chaldean language of the Babylonians was in the same family. Uh, in such languages, this kind of phrase is known as Semitic hyperbole. It's often a figure of speech. Jesus is not denying the truth of the scriptures we just read, but is pointing out that the manna God gave Israel in the wilderness only pointed to something more profound. Just like last time he said, do not labor for the food which perishes. Well, he's not saying, yeah, don't, don't work for your food, just starve. No, he says, but labor for the things which don't perish, labor for the, the food which endures. He's saying, prioritize that over the other. So in one manner of speaking, yes, manna was bread from heaven. It came, as it were, from the sky, resting like dew on the ground in the morning, and the dew would lift, and there was this uh, little substance like white coriander seed. It came directly from God himself. Psalm 78, 25 calls it angel's food, literally lechem Elohim, uh, which can be translated as bread of the mighty, uh, bread of gods, as in heavenly beings, or bread of God. And I think in light of Jesus' words in the passage we just read here in John 6, that bread of God is probably the best reading of Psalm 78's words here. Jesus is saying, in one manner of speaking, manna was bread from heaven. But we need to note a few things. Number one, yes, Exodus 16.4, Nehemiah 9.15, Psalm 78.24, call manna bread from or bread of heaven. But number two, it was not actually Moses who gave it. Notice that that's what Jesus says. He says, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. God gave the manna to Israel. Not his prophet, but God himself. 
And the third thing to take note of here is that that was not the true bread from heaven. Jesus uses the word true here to speak of the bread that he's talking about. Manna merely points to something more significant. The true bread from heaven, which alone can sustain a person to eternal life. Later in this chapter, Jesus will point out that manna was not the food which endures to everlasting life because your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, he says, and are dead. Eating manna did not keep them alive forever. But the food which endures to everlasting life, the true bread from heaven, the bread of God, as Jesus calls it here, is not a food to be gathered in the morning or baked, but a person. Verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Well, So then we might ask, who then is he who comes down from heaven? Well, the answer is implied is obvious, and of course, if you had read all of the gospel according to John up to this point, you would know that it began talking about this word who was with God and was God in the beginning and then became flesh and dwelt among us, and who is the one who shows us who God is as the only son of the Father. So that would be obvious. The answer to the reader would be obvious here. But if we let Scripture interpret Scripture, even for the people here hearing Jesus, as we go on, Lord willing, uh, in the future, we'll go on with this passage as we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. No fewer than six times in this chapter does Jesus refer to one who comes down. In verse 51, he explicitly says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Jesus is the one who came down from heaven. Jesus is the bread. Jesus gives life to the world, providing life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins. And providing that to people from every nation. Manna sustained Israel for a brief time in the wilderness, but Jesus sustains God's people unto everlasting life. This sacrament we're about to observe is a reminder of that fact. Only by feeding on Jesus, the bread of God, may we truly have everlasting life. So feed on him who is the bread of God. Labor for that food which endures to everlasting life, as he said in the previous passage. Let's pray. Lord our God, give us now the true bread from heaven, the bread of God, Jesus Christ, that we may receive the food which endures to everlasting life. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.